Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. I'm super excited today. I know you guys are probably tired of me saying that, but I am definitely excited today um, to have someone um, uh, on the show. And uh, as you know, uh, I normally have one guest and today I have two guests from the same organization. And um, the first guest is the author, and they'll be on at the same time, um, is author of one of the books that I uh, received as a gift many years ago um, as a young new father of a baby girl. And um, it was, the title of the book was Raising a Thinking Child. And I, I had always said that, or I should say always, but as I knew I was going to become a father, I said I wanted to um, hear more uh, strategies about how to raise kids. And people say, well, you're not going to find it in a book. Well, I'm here to tell you there are a lot of helpful strategies about raising children all over, and this is one of the locations is in this book. And so I'm super excited to uh, introduce to some of you uh, the author of that book, Raising a Thinking Child, uh, Dr. Myrna Shore. Welcome, Myrna. Not sure. Uh, let's see. I think we may have lost Myrna, but um, Stephanie, can you, hear are you me? can hear you now, Myrna. I don't know if you heard me, but um, would love to just reintroduce you. So, uh, Myrna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Can you hear me now? Yes, can hear you just fine. And we also have someone who is uh, a member of an organization that uh, uh, is called I Can Problem Solve, um, and she's a lead international trainer, and she manages the program uh, that uh, was started um, in, in collaboration with uh, Myrna, and her name is Stephanie Colvin-Roy. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yes, yeah, so glad to have you. And so as I started out, Myrna, I'm not sure if you heard me. I know you were, you, you, it was out for a moment, but, you know, I received your book uh, initially as a gift, and I've actually given it to some uh, soon-to-be new parents, Raising a Thinking Child. Um, I'm a real proponent of, of critical thinking and intentional strategies that parents and teachers and others in the, you know, that are responsible uh, for the care of young people, uh, for them to do these things to uh, ensure that uh, children acquire critical thinking skills and problem-solving skills. And so I'd love to start out by asking you, Myrna, I know you're a professor at Drexel, um, but would love to hear how you started out and what, what gave you um, the idea to write this book, first of all, Raising a Thinking Child. Well, actually, I started out as a nursery school teacher, and I've noticed that uh, some of the children 
were very competent and they had friends and they got along really well with their peers and their teachers and other kids were behaviorally aberrant. They were aggressive. They were shy. They they didn't know how to make friends. And I noticed that, that there was a difference in the way they solved the problems that came up with other people. There was one boy, for example, who every time he wanted a toy another child had and he was refused, he would say, uh, I'm going to tell my mother on you. And when that didn't work, he'd say, I'm going to tell my father on you. And when that didn't work, I'm going to, he thought of the worst thing he could think of, I'm going to tell my mother and my father on you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I knew then that um, the, the the big thing in nursery education then I hate to tell you how long ago it was it was in the late six in the sixties uh, um, where uh, the emphasis for preschool children was on colors and shapes and anagrams but not interpersonal problems and um, I wondered why nobody studied interpersonal problems and then I dropped it I went back to school I got my uh, PhD in developmental psychology and I was in the nursery school and graduate school and there was a child a four-year-old who was cutting quote tickets out of colored construction paper mm. and uh, and she uh, one piece turned out to be bigger than the other and she gave the little one to the child next to her and said um, I just made these tickets. I can keep the big one and give you the little one. That's fair, isn't it? And when I heard that, I said, I'm going to do my dissertation on children's concepts of fairness. Mm. <laughs> and um, and when I came to Philadelphia, I met a, a man named George Spivak, who was studying how adolescents and pre-adolescents were solving interpersonal problems. I said, I've got to work with him, and I convinced him to hire me, and we became a team, and I started out with um, seeing if preschool kids, since that's who I had been working with, could uh, solve problems and how it was the same and different from the way adolescents did, and that was sure. the beginning of all this. Sure. Well, I, I would tell you, very fascinating. You know, I um, as I mentioned, I, I really believe that um, there are things that we need to do that are intentional. And um, I know from personal experiences that it's not always nice and neat the way it shows up when you're, you know, when you're telling your child to think critically. Um, you know, we, I, I, I often also tell teachers that, you know, we, we really have to find ourselves fighting against for the most part, a lot of the ways in which we were we were instructed in grade school and you know um, secondary school, and because those are not always the um, methods in which you would need to uh, develop uh, uh, analytical skills and critical thinking skills. Um, so, just in in the years and the work that you've been doing. What would you say is is something that it has been most um, dare I say successful, but um, most important um, when you when you're observing teachers um, at you know with with young children uh, trying to teach uh, critical thinking skill? What's the what's the best advice you can give them about um, that endeavor? Well, we wanted to see if we could 
change children's behavior, improve children's mm. behavior by teaching them uh, how to solve problems uh, in, with interpersonal, uh, in the interpersonal, not the intra, in, not the impersonal world as had been been doing up until then. And um, we were set out to test the hypothesis that you could guide children's behavior by teaching them how to think through and solve typical everyday problems in relation to behaviors that related to the thinking skills that George and I identified at different ages. And we uh, developed an intervention to enhance the thinking skills to see if behavior would improve rather than focus directly on the behaviors mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. And the, the skills that, that turned out to be most relevant for this are ability to think of alternative solutions to problems. There's more than one way to solve a problem. Uh, what might happen if you do that, the, the consequence, and uh, how people feel, including how they feel. And so we developed games and lessons to teach those skills and make it fun. And, and then um, it, it was very interesting because teachers were asking questions to pictures and pup with pu pictures and puppets and role-playing to fictional problems. And uh, one day I was there observing and the child started acting up in the middle of the lesson, and the teacher said, now you go to the back of the room, and when you're ready to come back, you can come back, but we can't have you disrupting the group. And I said to myself, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Mm -hmm. She was just asking questions a minute ago to fictional situations. Why doesn't she ask the same questions in real life to, you know, to help kids associate these skills to real life? And that's how what we came to call ICPS, and I'll tell you what that means in a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, dialoguing was born, uh, mm -hmm. the actual implementation to real life. ICPS stands for, the, the program originally was called Interpersonal Cognitive Problem Solving, or ICPS, because the skills are interpersonal, they're cognitive, and they're problem solving. But that was too much of a mouthful for four-year-olds. So I, one day at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm thinking the clearest, <laughs> what else can I yes stand for and it came to me i can problem solve and that's mm -hmm. what the program is called now mm -hmm. uh, so we have icps dialoguing is the key to get children to uh, give them an anchor a language which uh, i'll go into in a minute uh, to help them develop a problem solving style of thinking and uh, not be uh, always told what to do or even explained why so, so tell me, what does that look like? So you you do you have a program? Who's involved with this? Is this a program for parents? Is it a program for teachers? And and what you know, like, what are you what are you exactly showing them how to do? So I know Stephanie, you are involved as the um, a developer, lead developer, and and trainer in that program. Um, who's doing it, and what are they doing? So a lot of people are doing it basically is that we have the parent program and we also have the, the curriculum that can be implemented in schools from preschool to um, really up to fifth, sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So four to ages four to 12, the raising a thinking child program aimed a little bit more at a, a younger uh, audience. And we're really where we start with the raising a thinking child program mm -hmm. is talking with parents about 
What is it that you want for your children? Who do you want your children to grow up to be? And there's a similar approach, I think, with teachers, you know, asking what it is that they want for the students that they're working with. And I think when you begin there, then it becomes much more, um, they're more receptive to, to mm-hmm. what this program is about. Mm-hmm. I see. And so give me an example of what it might look like, um, you know, for for someone to learn how to um raise, uh, uh, let's say not even raise, but what will we do um, to have critical thinking strategies um, with, with say, a, well, I guess you're talking about toddlers as as young as toddlers too, correct? Well, the youngest that we can start with is three and four, because children, although language is is not a a prerequisite, they have to have some language because it's, it's a based mm-hmm. on, on on verbal skills, but um, we start out with, with using what we call ICPS word pairs, um, and we take it one step at a time. Uh, for example, the word is and is not, we have fun with. Uh, you know, this is a table. It is not a uh, and let you know the kids will say chair, and then we say let's be silly, let's have fun. It's not a balloon, and then they start laughing, and it's not a a, a horse, and they go on with all the things it's not. And why do we teach is and not in fun ways? So we can later ask in the dialoguing process, is your idea a good idea or not a good idea? And the word not rings a fun bell. Now they know the word not before you teach it, but they don't use it as an expression of problem solving. Um, And another word pair that they like is same and different, Um, because um, show me a a chair in this room. Show me something that's the same as this chair. Show me something that's different. Uh, Johnny is wearing a blue shirt. Who's wearing the same color Mm -hmm. shirt? Who's wearing Mm -hmm. a different color shirt? As kids get older, we tie it in with academics that they're learning. Uh, Sarah's name starts with an S, whose name starts with the same letter. And the reason we teach same and different is if your idea is not a good idea, can you think of something that is a good idea, a different way to solve the same problem? And it gives the children an anchor uh, to um, develop the problem-solving style of thinking. And it's important to do that because children will often reject when you tell them what to do or even explain why. Um, They've heard those explanations a thousand times. The thousandth and first time isn't going to make a difference. And uh, they're not involved in the the dialogue. When they're participating, they have to listen. And it teaches children how to listen as well. And they're much more likely to carry out their own ideas than ones suggested or demanded by an adult. And Mm -hmm. that's the beginning of critical thinking. Uh, Another word pair is before and after. Um, Instead of, you know, the uh, proverbial, why did you hit him, the kids won't answer why, um, to to say, "Did, did he hit you before or after you hit him? And the words before and after ring a fun bell because we played fun games with those words. 
Uh, do I brush my teeth before or after I get out of bed in the morning? And kids make up their own examples of using mm-hmm. these words. Mm-hmm. And well, 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 let me ask you a question for on the on the side of, um, and then we'll get back to kind of some of the training you do. Is kind of practically speaking, with um, you know all the the challenges and demands of being a parent, particularly now. Um, how difficult are you finding it for people um, kind of historically? Is it getting even harder for people to engage in, um, you know, kind of learning what it is that they should be doing to to reasonably prepare their children to be thinking, uh, critical thinking, to master critical thinking skills, problem-solving skills? Has, has that become more difficult or about the same or... If I'm understanding what you're asking, um, my answer to that is at first they find it very difficult to talk Mm -hmm. to kids. But once they see how they respond to it, Mm -hmm. it changes the atmosphere, the the relationship. Um, They wonder how they talk any other way. They love it. And, in fact, they even take it to their own skills. I had one mother who was in training uh, of her four-year-old who was a secretary and had problems with her fellow secretary. And they'd go, how do you expect me to do my work and your work and and, and get it all done? And, and one day uh, the, train, the mother training her child said to the secretary, we have a problem and I need your help to solve it. <laughs> and they got together and started thinking together how to solve the problem, and they became mm-hmm. best friends after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's very important that the children, uh, they, they, I had a, a, we talk a lot about feelings in the training program because mm-hmm. feelings is an important part of problem solving to recognize how they feel and how another child feels. And we had a father once who said, I used to tell my child how I felt, but I never thought to ask him how he feels. Uh, and that almost made me cry. I, I, I was so touched by that. And um, because if children don't think people care about their feelings, they can't develop genuine empathy. And one of the outcomes of this program is children develop empathy because they you can't care about others until you care about yourself. And we teach that um, the children come to care about themselves when they're encouraged to express their feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Fascinating. So, so tell me about, um, uh, Stephanie, I know you, since you've been doing some of the training, um, what, what does it look like specifically? So I, I, I you, you said that, there are different groups of people that come in. Um, is there a specific curriculum where it takes a year, or do you do this in concert with people that are actually raising kids, or is it just for teachers? Like, what 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 are the different configurations of training? Because I, I mean, when I think about that, and probably there's some people that might be intimidated by the fact that we're we're talking about there. there's actual training that happens to do this. So what exactly does that look like? Right. So, um, so we have kind of all different types of training. The Raising a Thinking Child training, that is something that we uh, do directly with parents, and we're actually now doing it virtually as well as 
uh, the in-person group so that, you know, that the, the world has necessitated that. And then we also do Raising a Thinking Child trainings for educator, parent educators who are then going to run the program um, in, with small groups of parents. And, you know, I'm saying parent, but really, you know, they, this, that's a broad term because we have lots of caregivers that have gone through the program that are, you know, our grandparents. So, you know, the, so family and parent looks very different. Um, and, you know, as Myrna was saying, I think one of the, the heart and soul of the program really is about how we communicate with children. And that's really where the buy-in happens. When we start looking at how do you commonly communicate with, you know, with your children or with the, your children in your classroom, they begin to see how if they tweak that language a little bit and they sort of put the question on the child, what's happening? And, you know, it's a series then really of these thinking questions. We'll follow that up with, so what is the problem? And um, how do you feel? And how does your mm -hmm. friend feel? Mm -hmm. And it looks very much the same way in the, um, the I Can Problem Solve program, which is the curriculum. Sometimes we have educators that are mixed groups that are teaching preschool and the uh, primary grades. Sometimes it's more tailored to one or the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, and so are there? I, I've seen that there's a, a workbook. Is is there a uh, kind of a standalone, self-directed way to do this, or what do you recommend for the person who doesn't necessarily have, um, you know, kind of the the focus time to join other people in doing this? What about uh, what about them? Right, right. So the the workbook that you that you mentioned, the Raising a Thinking Child workbook, um, this is something that parents and and same with the uh, the trade book, the Thinking Parent, Thinking Child, Raising a Thinking Preteen. All of these can be picked up by an adult, and there's so many just wonderful uh, tips and strategies for for helping adults to to communicate with children when it's a parent educator when it's um you know a, a teacher then we absolutely recommend the training because it really mm -hmm. helps to you know to solidify what what is the message that we're we're trying to to send and how we sort of pull people in with us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and you know I, go ahead. in this day and age programs like this where children develop genuine empathy and uh competent behaviors is more important than it's ever been Sure, sure. Well, it, well, you know, it's funny you, you you beat me to the question I was about to ask is um, what are what are you uh, finding now and maybe even over time how things may have changed? What are you finding are the most important skill sets that um, are coming out of your training? I think you know, the the biggest are around um, you know, empower. It, it's it really is about you know sort of. This is how I feel, and and as we're sort of playing games and we have puppets, you know, Sesame Street did that and they did it well and it's still working. So you know, kids are hearing stories, playing with puppets, and then in that process, that sort of gameplay, or in the case of the parent program, that real life interaction with activities in the workbook or suggestions um, from thinking parent, thinking child. The um, what's happening is it, it's 
sort of building that I am heard, but, you know, people are acknowledging me and I'm learning about how I feel. And then we're transferring it to, you know, this is how my, you know, my mom might feel in this situation. This is how my friend might feel. And that all happens through that, that wonderful language and the word pairs that sort of guide the, the child through, through the process. Adults, you know, parents feel um, that they, that something's really working. You know, it's very validating for them when their child is successful with this, with this language. Well, you know, you, you said a lot of things that uh, made me think about how uh, we, we often, and I'll say a lot of, of, of as adults, underestimate capacity of children to empathize, understand, believe um, in certain contexts. And so, um, you know, I, I think about the, the words, like just words like empathy but, but having them be in touch with their feelings and and actually hold an opinion about those you know you, a lot of people are really surprised i know that uh, sometimes you know to your point murder you talked earlier about some of the research that you did um i also found in my earlier research on school climate when i would talk to uh, teachers about what students said about concepts like fairness and trust, but particularly around fairness, there were a lot of times where teachers would almost dismiss my child would say things like, I don't think that teacher is fair. Um, adults would often, often just dismiss that and say they don't really understand that, and, you know, sixth grade, fourth grade, but once you talk to them, you really start to understand they have a, a, a deep understanding of what fairness is and, and the complexity. Uh, well, you uh, know, uh, uh, children are taught to everything should be equal, you know, share your toys. <laughs> uh, you should play with it the same amount of time. But it, when I studied it, I found that, uh, that by age six, kids realize that this child who made the tickets, for example, um, and since she made the effort to create the ticket, she had a right to decide who plays with it first. Right. And, and, and I had a whole bunch of scenarios that, uh, you know, distinguish between when it's fair to be equal and when it's fair to, to not be equal. And, you know, I just want to say another thing is uh, another uh, disciplinary technique, of course, is spanking. That, that's always a topic that gets a lot of discussion. Because uh, a lot of parents still believe that spanking is the only way to change behavior. And we call that the power approach. And I had one mother say, I used to use power, but I felt powerless. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was pretty profound. And, um, you know, uh, they come to realize that, that power is, in fact, ineffective and only sometimes increases the frustration and um, we teach impulse control. Uh, the words um, same and different come in there. I can give you one example of a child interrupts parent, a parent on the telephone. And what do parents normally do? They normally, you know, say, I'm on the phone. Can't you see? I can't talk. I'm, you're interrupting me. Go watch TV. And mm -hmm. the child says, but I don't, I don't want to watch TV. 
Um, so we have, in dialoguing, we say, we have what can you do while you wait games. And children think about things they can do while they're waiting for their turn. And the parent can say, I'm on the phone. Um, can you think of something different, using the word different, to do while you wait? And one child said, I can think of something different to do. I can go watch TV. And the child went and watched TV. But whose idea was it? The, the whole basic premise of raising a thinking child and I can problem solve is if it's the child's idea and they have the skills to come up with their own ideas, they're, they're likely to be more behaviorally adjusted and more socially competent. And right. that's important. Right, but you know, um, one of the challenges, and this is where um, I know a challenge for me as a parent was, you know, it's, it's great when you, when you um, give them those options and then they come up with the solution that you like, you know, because that's what you wanted. But then when they don't come up with the solution that that's reasonable or a solution that's feasible, um, it's tough. Um, it's tough for you as a parent. I think a lot of times what makes us frustrated or even angry sometimes is because we're the ones that don't have the answer um, to how to resolve it because they've given us a challenge that we can't talk our way out of or get our ways out of. But what, what, is, your, what is your suggestion then, though, since, you know, so suppose, what, what if the kid answers? Um, well, no, we I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't have anything I, I could do. We get that question very often. And the fact is that we have children evaluate their own solutions in light of how people might feel, including themselves, and what might happen next, the consequence. Most children really don't want negative consequences, but they don't have the skills to come up with solutions that don't elicit negative consequences. But as the children learn the skills, they come up with solutions that have more positive consequences, and that's parents come to realize that that's what's happening as time goes on. So it's important that, that they evaluate their solutions and not just name them. Uh, and and end it there. Yeah, and, and you know that sounds quite complicated. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you haven't had the training. So, um, uh, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about how one might um, might might contact you uh, and and get training, whether it's a school or group of parents. I could I could see, you know. Uh, groups of parents even that might want to do this. Because I, I saw also, Myrna, I guess, I, even though I haven't read it, I probably could have benefited from reading it, um, is that you also have another version uh, called Raising a Thinking Preteen as well. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, t- tell me a little bit about how, um, how one might enroll in training, where they can reach you, and, and participate in Sure. Well, so we keep it pretty easy. It's um, it's ICanProblemSolve.info. Um, oh. We're also on Twitter and Instagram um, at ICPS program. 
so you can find us there but that's um that's the quickest way to to get hooked up and and you know your point about having parents do a group this is something that i think is just a, a wonderful opportunity if we you know if parents reach out and say you know we want to do this we want to do this at the community center then that you know we can make that happen for them so that they can they can feel empowered to deliver the program. Mm. Excellent, excellent. Stephanie, do you want to repeat how they can contact you directly because you're the taking over as head of the training now? Yes, yeah, so it's ICanProblemSolve.info, and that will give you direct access to, to finding a trainer and learning more about the programs. Sure, sure. Well, thank you. I, that, that's pretty easy. I can... Um, I can problem solve dot info. Yep, that's correct. Yep, pretty easy. So, well, thank you both. Um, again, special thank you, uh, Myrna, to you. Like I said, I it 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 helped me think differently about a few situations that I was in about how to how to redirect myself and and figure out uh, other ways in which I could uh, encourage my my children to think about their choices and and be empowered um, by doing that. So really appreciate your your advice there in your in your book. Um, and so to both of you, time really so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, I I appreciate both of you, and I'm sure there'll be people that are going to reach out to you um, after this conversation. So Myrna and Stephanie, uh, continue to do the great work. Um, Myrna, I know that you, you told me very early on when we, we talked the first time that you were uh, about to retire. Wish you very long, uh, restful retirement. Um, and um, Stephanie, um, I know you will uh, carry on with what, uh, what has been an amazing program um, and leading the training there. Um, looking forward to hearing more about the work that you guys are going to be doing into the future. Um, and so, again, folks, it is I can problem solve.info. Please reach out if you have any questions directly to Stephanie. Um, and so thank you both again for being on the show and just wishing the best for you both. So until we meet, go well, stay well. Thank, thank you. you. Pleasure being on the podcast.